What's up, everybody? This is Arts. I'm here with Ian from Chill Distro. How are you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? Thank you for joining me today. I'm doing good as well. Awesome. I uh, just wanted you to go ahead, you know, just give us the intro. Who is Ian? What is Chill Distro? And, you know, how did you get to be where you are today? For sure. Well, uh, my name's Ian Daly. I'm president and co-founder of Chill Distro. I'm also a cannabis attorney and Marine veteran, and we specialize in providing the best data, human, and physical infrastructure to cannabis brands in California. So the distribution business model is an interesting one, right? Because it literally didn't exist in cannabis until kind of California brought it to the forefront. Um, you know, don't want to say we're the only state with it, but I'm pretty sure we're, you know, we kind of just like came out with that out of thin air. Like Colorado doesn't have it, Oregon, Washington, et cetera. It's kind of a straight from cultivation to retail in all of those other states, right? Yeah, they have the producer processor model, and we've mm -hmm. got that three tier distribution model. Yeah. And California is the first major state to operate with that three tier model, as they call it. And it, it, it's similar to how they operate in the alcohol industry pretty much nationwide. Okay. And so California just came out and it's like, hey, we're going to have distribution now, right? So, what is the distributor responsible for? Well, it's interesting because California, like you said, created the distributor uh, in the supply chain pretty much out of nowhere with the regulations and then forced all taxes and testing into that, that bottleneck. If you're a distributor, you're responsible for um, collecting taxes for everybody. Uh, you're responsible for testing the product. You're responsible for picking up the product and distributing it like to everybody pretty much, right? You're like just the center of it all, right? Yeah, so we pick up the product from the cultivator, pay the cultivation tax, deliver it to producers or manufacturers, uh, take the finished product, package that, get that tested, pay the excise tax collected from the retailer, deliver it to the retailer, generate that sale, and then uh, collect cash and give it back to the producers. Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy, dude. It's a lot of moving parts, right? And it's a brand new business model that California just sprung on us out of nowhere. So what kind of drove you to say like, this is the one I want to do? Well, I think one of the most attractive things was that it was a, a new business model in the industry, which meant that there was no one that's really specialized in and developed their own, uh, developed, you know, a, a leading industry presence mm -hmm. in that area. Okay. So for us, it was an open market. And we also saw that the distributors that were operating really focused on the value that they provided in logistics services. Mm -hmm. So they are very good at, at touting their ability to deliver, you know, product from A to B. But what we weren't seeing was were distributors that focused on delivering sales. And as brands transition to this model, it almost requires them to offload their sales to the distributor. Got but it. if a sale but if a distributor doesn't have a competent sales team, mm -hmm. how can you do that confidently? Okay, so that's the value add that you're bringing to the Absolutely, table. Absolutely, yeah. Got it. We specialize in sales. So the number of retail licenses in California right now, last I checked, that was like 800-ish uh, storefront, 400-ish non-storefront. Is that correct? Still up to date? Uh, it changes every week. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so let's say let's say about uh, 1,500 licenses that are currently out right now retail, mm -hmm. but you're telling me there's over 1,000 just for distribution, right? That's right. Do you think that's a good balance or what do you think kind of needs to happen to you know, well, keep like, the industry moving forward? I think that the the dis the number of distribution licenses is kind of uh, misleading mm -hmm. because I don't think it's reflective of like the true activity that 
the people holding the licenses are doing. We were, most of the brands that we work with have a distribution license. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just means that they test the product before they deliver it to us. But we're handling all the logistics, cash collection, got and it. sales statewide. So got it, got it. they oh, can got still it. focus on developing their core process. Usually, you know, if they're specializing in growing the best flower, like some of our brands, THC Design, Blue Chip Genetics, mm-hmm. or high quality concentrates or edibles, whatever the, the product category is, yep. we think it's best if everyone focuses on what they do best and we can focus on generating sales. I mean, it seems like a complex business model. So for those of you or uh, for the, the people that are outside of California and they're kind of looking in uh, to start a business model like this, start a business like this, what are some of the startup costs associated? Well, um, there's the the physical infrastructural costs. So the facility has to be a licensed facility, which there's a lot of legal requirements and it's a long and difficult process to get licensing. Uh, that can vary. Uh, that, that price is, I would say, budget for half a million to a million, depending on your location and timeline for just the licensing part. Um, and then you have to, uh, the infrastructural costs, so vans, shelves, getting the product in, carrying product, because all of these, uh, the retailers are now shifting from a, cash on delivery model to like, usually it's net 30. Mm. So now we're in the position where we're extending credit. So mm. you have to have the capital to extend credit. Got it. So these and you're are also, all, I mean, the vans, you're the one doing all the transportation, right? Like the cultivator right. can't drive their product over to you. You're going to pick that up. That's right. We go pick it up, drop it off, right. store, right. deliver. Okay. So that. expect licensing fees, expect you need a big facility. Uh, you know, tor- give uh, tour of your facility mm-hmm. to me earlier. It's, you know, it's sizable. There's a lot of uh, room for growth in here for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you need vans. You need relationships. It's a, it's a pretty complex business model. Absolutely. Yeah, relationships both on the producer and brand end as well as the retail end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ha- building a competent sales team. Yeah. And so what's kind of the background that you guys have as a team that, uh, you know, gives you that authority and the confidence to kind of take that on for the industry? Well, our sales team is run by the two people that built the the retail rollout for Brass Knuckles. Okay. So Dina, our VP of distribution, handled all of Northern California, and Kennedy handled, handled all of Southern California. We've got uh, about eight or nine salespeople statewide right now. We're hiring, I think, three or four more. Um, always growing and a really solid sales team. Did over $60 million in 2017. Wow. And... Uh, and we're really hitting it hard now with our brands. Nice, nice. So just trying to replicate that process with the Absolutely. brands that you're carrying, right? Delivering that value, that process that made Brass Knuckles so successful to all of our brands. So that actually brings up another point, right? Brands in general, California kind of also just invented that out of thin air, right? Like with their regulations, they, you know, they mandated that uh, everything has to be prepackaged. And so all of a sudden, because everything has to be prepackaged, everything is now branded, right? And so now all of a sudden brands are so important in the cannabis industry, right? Yeah, I think that California going to the distributor model is one of the things that's made brands so important, just like everything being packaged for retail, Mm -hmm. because it forces everyone into this, you know, this supply chain bottleneck at distribution, where essentially you can plug IP in and out. Mm -hmm. And that's why if you have a good brand and you have a solid brand that is successful outside of cannabis or in, in the gray market in cannabis, uh, or in hemp CBD, then it makes a lot of sense uh, to access right there. So what are some of the brands that you're currently carrying? We're carrying THC Design, Blue Chip Genetics, Eve Farms, 
uh, Lucky 420 pre-rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're launching, we're just starting with, with SoCo. We're bringing a few brands in from the gray market and the hemp CBD side. Okay. Uh, we've got a Swedish chocolate company, King Carl. Nice and raw flower capsules. I'm really excited about those. We just launched with them. Fuel is another flower company that we're working with. We've actually got a, a lot of things coming up too, a lot of things in development. Nice. And so when you're looking at these brands uh, to kind of take them on, you're vouching for them at the end of the day, you're selling their product. How are you betting the brands to see like, okay, we want to work with you, but we're not going to work with these people over here? I think the two things that we look for in a brand is marketing support and consistency. They have to support the brand uh, as its own identity and persona, Mm -hmm. um, separate from the product. And then the product has to be consistent and then their whole process has to be consistent. They have to be able to deliver consistency to their clients on every level. And that is what really sets brands apart. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, McDonald's isn't the biggest because they're the best. They're the biggest because they're the same everywhere. And these brands, are you usually seeing them like do, are they self-distributing and working with a distributor? Are they working with just one distributor? Are they working with multiple? What's kind of like the status quo that you're seeing in California? Uh, that's a great question because I think right now across the cannabis industry, there is no status quo. Okay. Um, we've got a wide variety of relationships. We do um, all those types of relationships. We have... Um, one of the products I'm really excited about that we're, we're launching is raw capsules. So mm-hmm. they're flower capsules, activated flower capsules, non-extracted and uh, precisely dosed and with the full spectrum benefits of cannabis. Interesting. Um, so they, that, in that example, they have a, their own sales team that's handling some of their sales and we're doing fulfillment only. But for everything else in the state, we handle sales, delivery, logistics, cash collection, all of it. Okay, very cool. So it's clear that, you know, there's a lot of interesting challenges in the cannabis industry specifically. So a lot of this stems just from the regulation. You know, it's what they tell us is what we could do, and then they change it, and then we kind of try to figure out what we could do after they change it, and so on and so forth, right? Scramble to adapt. Exactly. So what do you think? Like, what is your personal, like, overall view of how the regulations are in California? Do you like them? Are they good? Are they bad? Where do you see improvements? Uh, the, the regulatory rollout in California has been really hard for a lot of people and some people cynically believe that it's intentional that's kind of bleeding out the uh the old industry to make room um i'm not so sure that it's that intentional yeah i think it's just it's a very difficult process yeah coming from other industries have you seen them being as difficult or is this just kind of like they're being extra strict extra critical on I don't cannabis. think they're being extra strict mm-hmm. I think because you've got two different avenues of regulation right you've got the actual text of the regulation and enforcement yeah so the text has been insane the taxes are, are outrageous like if you're trying to comply to the law as written mm-hmm. it's very difficult to be competitive especially mm-hmm. in LA where retailers have 10 unlicensed competitors for every licensed competitor. Yeah. And that means 10 people that are not paying taxes on the same business that they're doing. Yeah. Um, so the high tax burden definitely creates a huge incentive for the black market to continue to thrive. Okay. Um, the rollout has been difficult both locally here in LA and throughout the state. Um, I think they've issued what, like, like two dozen annual licenses so far. Uh, and they were supposed to begin 
January of last year. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been interesting. Yeah. We, I mean, we were just having the conversation about um, in San Diego, how if yeah. you have to, or if you want to distribute product to any retails there, you have to pay like a separate tax just to San Diego as a city, right? Yeah. So the tax system in cannabis in California is really unheard of, I think, because they openly have on the gross receipts tax yeah. that, oh, if you, you're paying a tax, mm-hmm. that tax that you pay is also taxable. And then on top of that, you've got municipalities, uh, and that's just at the state level. So, and at, at the local level, you've got municipalities like San Diego that charge a tax on anyone doing any business, even if they're not even located in San Diego. So if I deliver a product or collect cash from a dispensary in San Diego, there's a whole appropriation table that I have to figure out how much tax I owe to the city of San Diego, even though we just dropped something off there. Wow. Is that kind of like the main problem you see in the industry currently is like everything else is doable. You could find, we'll do this, but these taxes are just like... I think that the hardest part in California is that for so long, there was a thriving um, gray market and medical industry that is very well developed and established. And then to try to change that to a highly regulated and taxed system overnight, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have some runway. And I think that right now it means that the regulations and the taxes are, are too strict for compliance to equate to a long-term viability of the industry. So on one side of the battle is like these taxes, right? But you kind of just mentioned the black market. So I really want to touch on something that I've seen personally is a lot of these brands getting ripped off. Right. And they're creating fake products for the black market so that it's mm-hmm. even more difficult to, for the consumer to understand what's what's right and what's legal and what's uh, tested and what's not because it looks the same. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had uh, personal experience with that. So our sales team came from probably the most ripped off brand in the world. Brass, right, knuckles. brass knuckles. Right. And then right. We actually experienced that even in the legal market still. So, for example, Eve Farms, Mm -hmm. they had uh, fakes being distributed in the legal market. People were just stealing their trade name and brand identity and just pretending it was theirs. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I was literally seeing, like, these Chinese manufacturers are literally making, like, you know, um, brass knuckles knockoffs. And people in California are buying them, filling filling it with their own, like, whatever that they're making in their garage, right? (laughs) And then just distributing it out. So what do you think, like... What do you think could be done about this? Like, what is, you know, is it lower taxes? Is it less regulation or more enforcement? That's what's, a good question. I think the, the answer is a combination because we have to incentivize people to join the legal market. Mm-hmm. And right now as consumers, there's very little incentive to join the legal market because you pay a lot more at point of sale for the same product that you know you can go to a trap shop down the street and get tax free. Right. Um, that's a that's a hard sell at the end user, and that ultimately that's where the whole industry depends on. It right. depends on people buying cannabis at the point of sale. That is definitely has to come down, and I think the enforcement. So, for example, in the city of LA, they started shutting off power, shutting off water. People just buy generators. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I heard the perfect analogy actually to that. You know, some guy was at a. Um, it was the Bureau of Cannabis Control, and they, ha- they were having a policy hearing um, in uh, San Diego. And so I went, and the guy's, you know, the, the guy goes up, and he's like talking straight to the BCC, and he's like, "Look, why do I buy Corona at Ralph's? Right? I buy it because it's cheaper and more convenient than for me to go to 
somebody's garage, you know, and buy whatever bootleg alcohol that they're making out of their garage, right? So I think, you know, making it more convenient, right, for the for the users, making it more accessible, um, and just making it the, the obvious decision to go with the legal industry instead of the illegal, right? And I Would think you, part of that is is going to take time because it's going to take a lot of investment on the supply chain side mm-hmm. to bring down the prices on the legal market yep. to where they're they're going to be much more competitive than the, than the black market eventually. Yep. Like you said, like it's you pay more for a beer someone makes in their garage than you do for Corona or Tecate. Or- <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, do you think the state of California at least is on the right track, or do you think there are some other states that maybe did it? A little bit better did it different and like in a good way that we could look at that's a good question i don't think there's an easy answer to that because on one hand yes the other states have had a smoother rollout but no other states had an existing and thriving medical market for two decades before yeah not so to mention I, the population and exactly. you know like 40 million people yeah. and 20 years of medical cannabis is a lot to undo overnight yeah so you don't necessarily think we got it wrong maybe I think it's just a hard process yeah I don't think they took the easiest way, mm-hmm. um, but there's not much you can do about it. Now. Okay, so I have to ask, Lori Ajax is currently the head of the BCC. If she was sitting here, right here, instead of me, what would you tell her? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think that the the important thing for the regulators to understand is that people want to comply, is that people want to do business legally they want to just not worry about getting shut down. They want to continue to operate. And making that the BCC's priority is going to help the BCC execute on their objectives. Cool. So um, this is your time to shine now. I mean, chill this show. Why don't you give us a little shout out? Tell us what you guys are working on. You know, plug your social media and all that For as well. sure. Yeah. Well, chill distro at chill distro on Instagram. And I think all the social medias, we have them. It's just <laughs> at chill distro. I nice. think so. Yeah. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me for this conversation. And then, and, you know, I really think that uh, the audience is going to get value out of this. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Art. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for tuning in with us. Make sure to follow us on all of our social networks. So, you know, we're just at webjoint.com. Join our newsletter, put in your email. You can stay up to date with all of our content, all of our events and everything from there. Uh, we're on LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, Facebook, you know, just everywhere. So check us out. Just search webjoint software.